Actually, that all Scripture ought to be familiar to us. What do you think about that? (laughs) Amen. But creatures of habit, some Scriptures are a little bit more uh, familiar to us than others. We're going to read portions of that, and if you have that, then I want you to find St. John, the third chapter. Now, that's another real old familiar Scripture. That's a Pentecostal Scripture. Amen. A Pentecostal Scripture. That's the one that we cut our teeth on. Amen. That's the one that's still good today anyway. Praise the Lord. That's, that's good to whet your appetite. That's good to sharpen your teeth on. Praise the Lord. But we're going to read 21st verse of the 5th chapter of Ephesians. Simply says, Submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. And it says, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular... So love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's turn to St. John, third chapter. We'll try to pick up on about the third verse. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time, enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. It stands written. All the powers of hell cannot change it. Man has decided and desired many times to bury it or to change it, but it stands written as it is. We thank you for that, Father, because in an unstable world, this is stability to us. So, Father, we reach forth and grasp the things you say unto us, And we pray tonight that you could challenge our Christian lives and experiences and we might appreciate you more. Thank you, Father. We pray you would guide our thoughts, Master, and 
Give us uh, the things that you would desire and that you would move upon the minds, hearts of individuals and souls tonight that they might hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. I want to review, before I get into the crux of the message tonight, I want to review some things that I have said concerning Christ and the church so that you will know where I'm coming from. Many times... The church and Christ is referred to in the Bible as the husband and the wife. And we just read in that scripture where Paul says in verse uh, 32, this is a great mystery. But I speak to you concerning Christ and the church. And then he reveals the mystery and says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And, of course, that's the way it, it, when man and woman become one flesh, the only way they possibly can is through their children. So the church, in order to be one flesh with Christ, must bear children. I mean, that is a set fact. We agreed, didn't we, that the Word of God is immutable, that it can't be changed, that it stands written. And that's what Christ is trying to say. So how does the church bear children? Well, let's go over that again. For a wife to become with child, she must become intimate with her husband and accept his seed. And then she becomes with child. And the same is true with the church. It must accept the seed of Christ. We must become intimate with Christ. We can't wave at him afar off. We can't uh, just rub shoulders with him afar off. We must remain or become intimate with him and accept his seed, which is the word of God, which is the seed of God. So for a church to become with child, it must always and forever accept the seed, which is the word of God. And so for for the church, in order for it to bear children, then first must again become intimate with Christ, accept his seed, which is the word of God, and then she is with child. Now, we went over this several times, and many times a child is aborted. Now, that's an ugly word, and that's quite an issue in your day and mine, and many of us get up in arms over the fact of abortion, innocent children being killed, innocent children not having a right to their life, and justly so. We should get up in arms about that, but I'm concerned about spiritual abortions about a church that accepts the seed, which is the Word of God, and then spontaneously many times abort that child until it has not time to come forth crying, Abba, Father. And many children are aborted purposely, as spiritually speaking, simply because the mother doesn't want it. Naturally speaking, the mother doesn't want it. And she, so she aborts the child. Let's make that parallel with the church. A lot of times, the church doesn't want it. You say, oh, yes, we want children, but that demands a change in lifestyle. All right? Whenever a woman becomes pregnant with child, her lifestyle has to change. And when this child comes on the scene, everything changes. All right? And a lot of mothers, young ladies in our day and hour don't want that. And though we demand almost and cry out that this would not be the case in ours. God is looking at us and asking us, how selfish are we? 
How bad do we want a child? Bad enough to change our habits? Bad enough to change our ways? Bad enough to take care of our bodies when we become with child, spiritually speaking? Bad enough that when the child comes on the scene to give it the proper attention, it changes everything. You ask anybody uh, that a bouncing baby boy or girl comes on the scene and mom and dad undergoes a great change. The mother especially because she's not as free as she used to be. She can't be selfish in her attitude. They must share with that crying little brat that's there demanding all the attention. They have to share that. And that's the same way when the church delivers a bouncing baby boy or a girl. It comes in and it demands time. It demands effort. And it changes the whole lifestyle of a church. I've been in churches that are barren. Their lifestyle remains the same. They do as they want to do. They come and go as they want to come and go. And nothing is changed. And then I've been in churches that become pregnant with child, right one right after another, and the whole system is changed. Individuals at one time was catered to can't be catered to anymore because we've got a baby in our midst. We've got someone there that is demanding that we give to them. And all at the same time, there's older brothers and sisters sitting back feeling unloved and unwanted because this little baby's cry and crying all the time takes away from them. So the family has to be ready for the child. The mother has to be ready to change her lifestyle. I said all that to say this. We're entering into a phase where we have to make up our mind. Are we ready to depart from our everyday walk of life? Are we ready to sit back and let, it, let a child take preeminence? Are we mature enough that we don't demand too much time whatsoever that all of this could be given by the mother to the child? We need to ask ourselves that question. Now, others are aborted simply because the mother doesn't take care of itself. You see, it means more than becoming impregnated with child. It means more than accepting the seed of the husband, which is God. It means that she must realize she has a child in her womb and she has to take care of herself in order to bring forth a healthy child. In other words, this limits the mother's activities, all right? This limits some of the things that she used to do where it just bothered her. She has a child in her womb. That she has to take care of. And so if it's not taken care of, a child is aborted. I'm not saying that churches don't receive the word. Oftentimes it does. And many times it becomes with child. But so often the child is not able to speak. It's prematurely aborted. And others, of course, are aborted because some malady or some weakness of the mother. There's no weakness in God Almighty. But there is weaknesses in the church that we ought to seek to correct so that when we become with child, we'll know what's demanded of us. We'll know where God is taking us and our infirmities will be taken care of. We'll go to Dr. Jesus when we have them. And we'll ask Him to take care of these infirmities because we want a child. We want it born. We want to hear it cry, Abba, Father. So it's been a while since I've had a child. <laughs> it's been a while since I've even heard a grandchild cry. But to me, there was never any greater sound in this world when I heard my first child cry 
my second, my third, my fourth, and all my grandchildren that I was privileged to be around. There's not a greater sound in this world to a loving husband, father, or grandfather than to hear the cry of a normal, healthy child that life has been granted to. So we want children, we want them born, but a child is born. Well, we have to ask ourselves the question, what type of mother is the child born to? You see, after it's born, there's the caring process. You have a lot of abused children out here in this world. You have a lot of children that's come into this world and they haven't had much of a chance. You see a lot of neglected children. They're neglected because parents haven't grown up. Parents are still children of themselves. And so naturally they don't give to the child what it needs. And you have an abused child a lot of times. And you have a neglected child. Jesus says that it's possible with the church to have just this. Matthew eleven sixteen. But he says, But wherewithin shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in a marketplace and calling unto their fellows, We have packed into you and you have not danced. In other words, we played around with one another. We carried chips on our shoulders. If you look just wrong at me, sometimes I'm going to get mad at you. I, I'm going to feel hurt about you. Or if you say something just kind of offhand and I'm in the wrong mood, I'm going to take it wrong. In other words, when I type to you, I want you to dance. All right? And this is exactly the way it is. And sometimes children are abused that way. Children that come forth into the body of Christ don't understand the infantile moods of the church. Don't understand the selfish attitudes of individuals. They don't understand the fightings and infightings. They don't understand this. And this produces the world out here like we've got now. Amen? I'm talking about a world out here that's filled uh, with individuals that hardly sometimes know where to turn. And they sometimes know where to go or who to call upon. They watch mom and dad fight. They watch brothers and sisters. They watch aunts and uncles. They watch their family, their household, one against the other until they simply have lost reality. And this is what happens when a child is born into the church and the church is not mature enough to care for this child. This child sees infighting. This child sees hatred. This child watches envy and malice. And this child watches abuse heaped upon one another as a family. And it's growing up insecure. And a child growing up insecure is not a good child in this generation. Now Hebrews tell us, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. Teach you what? Titus said that women, aged women, be teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, which is separate, to be chaste, which is pure and undefiled, and keepers of the home, obedient to their own husbands. And why all of this? That the word of God be not blasphemed. I said all that to say this. What I have just related to you tonight has laid a heavy on the church, which is the mother. And it should simply because motherhood is a great responsibility. How many of you mothers agree with that? It's a great responsibility. It's a great responsibility to be a mother of a child. Have a lot of decisions to make. You have a lot of, a lot of discipline to do. 
you don't discipline your, discipline your child, you're in trouble, or he is, and later on. And so it's a great responsibility, and we should take a heavy on that because of the responsibilities is there. But as I was going over that this evening in prayer in the office, there's just some words. Sometimes you just get words, a title, and you don't get anything to go with it. And when I get that, I become concerned. And the thing that God said to me as I was reviewing this, I thought, God, we want children. We want revival. We feel like we're ready for revival. We feel like that we uh, have accepted the seed, which is your word. We feel like at times we have become with child. And yet for some reason, we don't hear the cry of the voice of that little baby. <laughs> for some reason, it's been quite some time, God, I need to know. I need to know where we're at. A healthy church ought to bring forth a healthy child. Agreed? Amen? And so we have to look at where we're at. And God just said four words to me. I will to live. I will to live. Now even with the responsibility, when the church has discarded or discharged this responsibility faithfully, we still see spiritual death among our children. Amen? We still watch individuals come crying and kicking and screaming in this world. And we do our dead level best to take care of them. And they still die, spiritually speaking. And when that thought came to me, God said, in every life, there has to be a will to live. In the natural not only is a person born into this world and nurtured, there comes a time in the natural that he has to have a will to live, and that will to live is going to be so sorely tested. There's going to be times when his will to survive is going to be brought to the razor's edge. Times when he would just almost check it. And we see those individuals who suffer incurable diseases and we watch them lose their will to live, naturally speaking. We see people involved in marital breakups and divorces. And you read every once in a while of somebody shooting their mate and then turning the gun on themselves. Everything has been lost to them. They've been sorely tried. Everything has been taken from them. And they've lost the one ingredient that would keep them alive. And that's the will to live. And so they kill themselves and others. We see young people. Lovers quarrels. Family squabbles. Lose their will to live. And a lot of teenage suicide is being or is happening in your day and mine. Every time you pick up the paper, almost, you watch where a young boy or young girl has been brought to the razor's edge. Life doesn't seem worth living to them. There's nothing in their back or in their past or nothing in their future or nothing in their present that would give them a desire to live. And so we watch them. I just read in the paper, and I'm sure you did too, of this young 12-year-old boy. And they was just simply calling him chubby. 
Now, this was doing something to this young man. We say, what a frivolous thing. But this was doing something to this young man. This young man wanted to enjoy life without the nicknames. And so he went to the edge. And finally, the paper says that he brought a gun and killed his best friend who tried to stop him and killed or wounded someone else and then stood before the class and put a gun to his head, 12 years old, and killed himself. Lost the will and lost the desire to live. Life didn't hold anything for him. And we watch individuals lose their zest for, the, uh, for life. You watch them uh, simply uh, feeling like the good life has passed them by and uh, they, they lose their will to live. We watch individuals go through their life mechanically. I mean, you just watch them. No emotions whatsoever. No enjoyment feeling themselves trapped in a world that they can't get out of. And yet... Uh, not strong enough to commit suicide or end it. You see, all of these things, and spiritually, your Bible will back me up from Genesis to Revelation. Spiritually, it's the same thing. We just read a scripture where it said, you must be born again. And we rejoice in that. And we love that scripture, and it is true. You have to be born again. The Bible tells you that that is a necessity. It stands written that way. But there are times, regardless of our status of life, or regardless of the circumstances that we have been reared in, that we have to draw from the innermost recesses of our spirit the will to live this spiritual life. There comes a time when it's in our hands. There comes a time when the church has brought you forth. I've seen it happen. A church has brought you forth. It has delivered you healthy, spanking baby boy or baby girl, and you cried a healthy cry. And some parents in the natural can offer their children a little bit better than others. Amen? I mean, sometimes they can offer them more money, an automobile, or whatever. And that's the same way with the church. Some churches can afford their children better things than others. That's not a disgrace. When I was a child growing up, I didn't have anything, but my parents did the best they could for me. Amen? They couldn't give me a car. I had to earn that myself. I had two pairs of low-back overalls. I'd wear one to school. Mom would wash the other. And all these things. But they did the best they could. And when I started comparing my life to my neighbors around me who lacked nothing, sometimes I could look at it and it bared more on me until I realized Mom and Dad did the best they could for me and the rest of it was up to me. All right. The rest of it was up to me. I had to have a will, a desire, and there was times I had to dig into the deep recesses of my soul and get a desire to make this boy amount to as much as he possibly could. It would have been easy for me to settle back and for me to blame Bob and Dad, for me to blame brothers and sisters, for me to blame my church, it would have been easy for me to do that. But there comes a time when we're on our own. There comes a time when God separates us and says, Look, boy, or look, girl, you've had the best you could have. Maybe it wasn't what some big church could offer you. All right? 
And we find as far as young people, well, all of us are concerned. The larger churches offer you a more variety. It's sometimes easier to live a Christian life in a larger church. Because it, it, it affords you so many different things that you can do, especially with young people. But friend, you are born and you don't pick your parents. <laughs> Hallelujah. And when they do the best they can for you and wear you with the best they possibly can, you have to have a desire to continue your spiritual life or there's nothing they can do about it. I wish I had a house full of backslidden individuals, one time spoken tongues, that's blaming the church because it doesn't respond the way they think it ought to respond for their backslidden condition. Amen? I'm going to say this. We've had maladies. I'm sure at this church there's been infirmities. I'm sure there's been times when we perhaps hadn't been the best mother in the world. And let me ask you something. When you've done the best you could with what you had, and give everything you possibly had, and individuals still die, don't go on a guilt trip. Makes you feel bad when you see one that one time was alive. One shouted the joy of salvation, enjoyed it. Makes you feel bad when you know they're dead. Amen? You're going a guilt trip sometimes if you're not careful. And that's fine. Search yourself and see what else could have been done. But remember also, you bring this individual to a certain point and their will to live their spiritual life is going to be tested and they're going to have to have a will. Amen. Amen. Right. Now we don't understand everything that happens in our life, spiritual life. I can remember a minister friend of mine's wife. You know him? She one time... Born into the Christian home. Given everything that possibly could be given at that time. Married a minister. Did the best he could for that woman. And that woman came to a time in her life after shouting, after enjoying the presence of God, after giving birth to natural children and spiritual children, there came a time in her life when she felt like the good times had passed her by. Or almost. And she was determined that she was going to get in on some of the good times. And she began to die spiritually. She's dead spiritually tonight. I'm not saying there's no hope for her, but I'm saying this. There had to be in her. Oh, I'm sure she could have picked out saints that she could blame and churches she could blame and ministers she could blame. And it all adds up to this. If she would have had her spiritual desire and a will to live, she would have been alive tonight. We have to want to live. We have to want to. Right? Now, those words keep ringing over and over. And I think Sister Myrna's testimony, I think that's the one she, when she was rejoicing. She said, because I want it. Because I want We don't understand the trouble. We don't understand uh, the indifference of people to our needs. We don't understand that. And let me remind you, you're not being yourself. I don't think there's a child of God by what sometimes experiences the indifference of his parent, of his mother, and the indifference of his brothers and sisters, naturally speaking as well as spiritually speaking. 
There's times when I look out over a congregation and I thank God they don't care at all. And I'm sure there's times when you look at me and say, He just doesn't care. Because we don't travel the road that's mapped out that we should travel. You don't walk the road that I map out for you to walk. And so we feel an indifference with one another. A friend, in spite, let me say this, in spite of the indifference we feel, our spiritual life is more important than that. Can you say amen? It's more important than people. It's more important than what we think. It's more important than what somebody else thinks. Thank God, and we continue to dwell on these type things. We're simply going to lose our will to live, our spiritual life. And not all the blame, I'm going to say it again, not all the blame can be put on the church. Well, I'm sure there's times when mom and dad looked out and thought, man, I wish that I could have done better for them. I wish I could have presented them with more. I wish I had been more mature. You know, and, and I look at that and I think, God, how come I matured so slow? How come when I was raising my children that I couldn't see some of the mistakes I made, but they were honest mistakes. They were mistakes made because I thought it was good for them. I'm sure there's times when this church as well as others could have done better for those that are dead. Alright? I'm sure that Perhaps they could have been a better mother in some areas. But friend, after bringing to birth, and after nourishing, and after hearing that strong, healthy cry, then there's a lot depends upon the will of that child to live. How strong is that will to live our spiritual life? I mean, do we let church Attitude of people interfere with our spiritual life? I mean, there are a lot of people dead out there simply because they did not have the desire and will to live their life for Christ. They couldn't get their eyes enough off of people and get it off on Christ enough to realize that whatever it is, God, it's not worth losing my spiritual life for it. Whatever it is. And sometimes we commit spiritual suicide. I watch people put guns, spiritually speaking, to their head and end their spiritual life. And all at the same time blaming somebody else for their failures in life. And blaming somebody else for their attitudes. And blaming somebody else for their unspirituality. And they die spiritual deaths. And the sad part about it is, most of the time when we die a spiritual death, it's not just us. We take other people, like this young man took somebody else with him. We need to realize the dangers and the pitfalls of spiritual death. And there's several examples in the Bible that I can give you that's given uh, for ever. People had every reason to die spiritually. I can look out over my life. You can look out over yours. And there's times when the devil has actually dealt us a death blow. I mean, he has waylaid us. I mean, he has caught us in times of aggravation. 
And times when he's dealt us a blow that would have killed us with the exception of that deep-rooted will to live inside of us that says no power of hell will destroy my life with Christ. No individual will destroy my life. I go on the inner resources of my will to live for God. Hallelujah. I'm not dependent upon anyone other than God. And it's nice to have brothers and sisters and we fit into the body of Christ and we need to work together. But you remember this one thing. You are responsible for your own spiritual life. Should you commit spiritual suicide or should you die a spiritual death, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. Oh, you say, but you don't know what so-and-so done to me. You don't know the dirty deals I got. Yeah, I probably do. I probably had just as many in my walk of life, especially with my position, as you have had. And I've had times when the devil has actually almost cut my head off. He slit my throat. He has hoped that I would bleed to death. He has placed within me the, the, the malady of bitterness and envy and of strife. And that thing was eating away at my spiritual life. And I was blaming this one and that one and somebody else for the predicament I was in. And then God spoke to me and said, You are responsible for your own spiritual life. You can't blame anybody else. I've given you the spirit and power enough that you can pick yourself up by the bootstrap and you can live your life in spite of anybody else. And God wants to tell us that. He wants to tell us that. We're not living in a perfect place. We could set forth the ideal situation of parenthood, and I could set you an ideal mother. But there's no such thing as an ideal mother. There's a flaw someplace in that mother's life. Some worse than others. And I can't I can point you to an ideal church. I can point you to a church. I can find it. I know what it's supposed to be. Where there's no backbiting. Where there's no gossip. Where there's no envy. Where there's no malice. Where there's no strife. This is an ideal church. This is what God wants us to get to. But I can't find one in this world today. I don't know where it's at. But friend, in spite of that mother's weakness, in spite of her failures, naturally speaking, if she's a mother, her heart goes out for her child and she would die for that child. And that's the same way with God's people. We'll fuss, we'll argue, or we'll fight. But when it's brought right down to it, most of us would die for the children we bring forth. It's no value for us to die for them. We can't live for them. Their heart has to beat itself. They have to have a desire to live. They have to want to live. I don't care how powerful the message is. I don't care how how intercessory prayer and how much you put it up. And I don't care how much you love. If that child born to you doesn't want to live, there's not one single thing you can do about it. All right. All you can ask for is God be like Elijah and Elijah. All you can ever hope for is someday that the church will become like Elijah or Elisha. That they can find that dead child and realize it's dead and put themselves prone upon that child and breathe mouth to mouth and resuscitate that child and make it live again. We hope for that. 
But inside, they have to want to live. There's several examples, and I'm going to give you just one to expedite time. Just one man. I'm sure you know who that one man is. One of the greatest apostles that ever lived. That man was the Apostle Paul. He was born, he said, I've won out of due time. His birth was spectacular in a sense, but yet he was born in poverty. He was born so, so far in ignorance, and he was born to splintered church at the time. I want to read, if you'll turn with me, just briefly to Romans the 7th chapter and the 24th verse. You'll find the Apostle Paul in a position we've all been in. You'll find him struggling between two natures. You'll find him there as he is struggling between Saul of Tarsus that still wants to do his thing and have his way. And the Apostle Paul who has been birthed by Christ. And there's a struggle between the two natures. And the Apostle Paul is saying, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now, what Paul was saying was this. Do I have to go through life like this? Is this what I have to look forward to all of this time is a struggle between this old nature, Adamic nature, and this divine nature, and they're so far apart, and I'm inside and it's killing me. Oh, I'm wretched. I'm wretched. Is there anything that can help me? Now, Paul, in his young life, had to have a will to live. I mean, he could have looked around and watched the churches falter and fall around him, but he had the desire to live. He had to look at his own nature, what was going on, realize who he was. And then he finally says, but I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. In other words, he's saying, but in spite of this old nature, in spite of this lust of the flesh, in spite of these things that probe me and prop me, and maybe I submit to them, in spite of those things, I still am going to live for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stay down there. I'm not going to stay down there. I'm going to get up. And though I'm wretched in these things, I've got victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have Romans 8 and 35. And you'll hear this man cry again as he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> He's undergoing something. He's having a hard time. And he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? Is this going to separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And then he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. In other words, he got a hold of it and said, God, I've got a desire to live through this thing. I've got a will to live. My spiritual life means more to me than family and friends and church or what have you. I've got a desire to live. And he said, I'm persuaded I'm persuaded. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm persuaded. 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, I'm persuaded of that. He said, I'm persuaded that however anybody else walks, I'm not going to walk that way. However anybody else talks, I'm not going to talk that way. Regardless of how much they want to commit spiritual suicide, I'm going to live. Hallelujah. Because I'm persuaded. Can you say, I am persuaded? Say it again. I am persuaded. Hallelujah. In whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Hallelujah. I am persuaded. Well, glory. Hallelujah. It's time to quit and I'm just getting started. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I feel like I'm a ship sometimes out here by myself. Hallelujah. And there's a storm all around me. Praise God, nobody cares about me. Ships are passing me by all the time. That's better than I am. And I look and say, hey, look, I'm sinking. I need your help. And they just go right on because their life is busy. And then comes Jesus. I said, then comes Jesus. And He knows where I'm at. He knows where I'm at. And I'm persuaded. I said, I'm persuaded. And He cares. I'm not about to put a gun to my head. Hallelujah. I'm not about to die without a struggle to live. Hallelujah. I'm not about to. Hallelujah. You just do your best. Do whatever you want to. But I'm persuaded. The only thing that can separate me from the love of God is me. Amen. What did he say? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, no height or no depth, nor any other creature going to be able to separate me. Paul was actually saying what we all ought to say. I will to live. I got it. I've got a will to live, Lord. And let the devil do his best. I got a desire. Nobody's going to rob me of my spirituality. We need to turn to 2 Corinthians 4. Hallelujah. You're following this man. He had some bad times. Sometimes just as bad as you and I have had or worse. Alright, his strength was sorely tested. His spiritual life was sorely tested. And he had to give an answer to where he was at. 4, 8, 9, and 10. See if I can find it. 4, 8, 9, and 10. 2 Corinthians. And this is what he said. We're troubled on every side. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're troubled on every side. Yet not distressed. In other words, he's saying, I'm troubled and I'm going to live. <laughs> Hallelujah, I'm going to make it. We are perplexed. We don't understand everything. We, we, we just don't know sometimes which ways the wind's blowing. And he said, we're not in despair. <laughs> Hallelujah, we don't have to despair. And then he said, we're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We're cast down and we're not destroyed. As long as we want to live, we can live in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go right on. 16th. For this cause we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light of affliction, which is but for a moment... Hallelujah. Paul says, I'm going to live this spiritual life. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then he says, I got a vision of something. 
Hallelujah. I got a vision of something. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. And he said, God, I'm going to live this spiritual life. I'm going to see the kingdom of eternal God. No creature is going to destroy me. Hallelujah. I'm going to live it because it's up to me. Hallelujah. God is my Father. The mother with all of its infirmities brought me to birth and done the best it could for me. And now I'm going to live. Hallelujah. I'm going to live. Nobody can take this away from me. Let's go to 11, 24, and 30. Hallelujah. 11, 24, and 30. 2 Corinthians. Says of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one, two hundred. Hallelujah. This is a man that's struggling with a will to live. Hallelujah. Get the cat of nine tails on your back and see if it doesn't darken your door inside there. And it says, God, what's the use? What's the use, God? And he could have looked and said, Where are those people? Where is the church? Where is it at? I'm here by myself. But he said, I received that. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck in a night. And a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often in perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. Perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often in hunger and thirst. In fasting often in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without. Which come upon me daily the care of all the churches. He can say, God, I've got every reason in this world to quit. Hallelujah. The churches I establish don't care. That my countrymen want to kill me. You don't care about me because I've been shipwrecked and you've let me get beaten. You've let me get stoned. And weighed down deep inside at the time, old Saul of Tarsus said, Lay it down, Paul. There's no use in that. The Apostle Paul digs way down in the inner recesses of his soul and he gets a hold of something and he says, I've got a will to live. I've got a will to live. I'm going to live my life until Christ calls me home. No creature is going to separate me from the love of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 9. No, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. We're going to quit in just a moment. Paul says, he was talking, I think somebody mentioned this, this thorn in the flesh. God, this is bothering me. I don't see why the church couldn't pray that out for me. I don't see why those healing individuals like Peter and all of those why can't I get healed, God? And Paul could have said, I'm laying my spiritual life down. There's no value in this. But he didn't say that. He sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. There's some things in our life we're going to have to struggle with. I don't care what you say. There's some things going to be there, just if nothing else, to keep us humble. And Paul said, I besought the Lord thrice. And he said, My grace is sufficient for thee. 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, he says. <laughs> Paul, I don't believe you. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ might rest with me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Can you believe that guy? Can you believe him? When he says, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities. There's things I need that I don't have, and I take pleasure in that. Paul, where you been? Where's that God at in my life? I want Him. I need to try to find Him where I can take pleasure in this. And in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And he says, you know why I take pleasure in that? Simply because, he says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. <laughs> Hallelujah. When this old flesh can't do anything about anything, and it knows that that which is inside of me then takes control, and I become a superman with Christ. And in all of this, Paul says, I'm going to live. I've got to live. I've got to live. Now then, let's go back. And I think somebody quoted this. Let's go back to Romans. And let's finish this up with this great apostle. Eighteenth verse. For I reckon <laughs> that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, sometimes you've got to get the eyes off the present and get it in the future. Sometimes you've got to look up. And in this world you can't see Him and visualize Him. The Apostle Paul made it through that way. And he said, the suffering that I am doing now is not worthy to be compared with what I'm going to get. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's not worthy. And for that reason I'm going to live. For I said, for the earnest expectation." Let's go ahead and read it. Be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be, de be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and availeth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. 25th verse, But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, he says, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Spirit. Don't die, saints. Let the Spirit live in you. Let it help your infirmities. For we know not we ought to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Hallelujah. Let the Spirit sometimes contact and get a hold of us. And in closing, there's times... When these potheads and drunkards out here in this world get so drugged and get so intoxicated 
that they feel like they live a charmed life. They think they can fly. They jump off of buildings and they die. They think nothing can hurt them. They run out into the traffic. They're killed. Simply because they are so drugged and so doped that they don't have their right mind. You say, what's that got to do with us? Plenty. Spiritually speaking, there's a lot of individuals that have become so intoxicated and so drugged with the fleshly pleasures of this world that they feel like they live a charmed life and whatever they do, they can't die spiritually. And so they continue on with their own ways and do their own thing, not knowing that the powers of hell are out there going to destroy them. You see, there are laws. Laws that says a man can't fly. All right? Laws that said if you jump off of a building so high, you're going to be killed. Laws that says you can't run out in front of a truck and survive very often. Laws that tell you you can't take a hold of a hot wire, a 440, and live. These are laws of nature. They're laws of God that tell us He's got to be first. He's going to be first. And there's laws of spiritual salvation that tell us we can't do some of the things we're doing and live. And yet people continue to do it, feeling like they live a charmed life because after all, He's a merciful God. And all at the same time, the devil is soaring us into the heights. And we're going to jump off one of these times. We're going to be smashed. And we're going to be dead. Because no more can you defy the natural laws than you can defy the spiritual ones and get by with it. Let's stand. Hallelujah. I'm going to say it again. Probably the crux of the whole thing it took me better than an hour to preach is regardless of whatever circumstances you're in, you have to have a will to live. You have to want to live. Otherwise than that, the church can't help you. And like I said, I wish, I wish that I had a church full of backsliders or spiritually dead individuals that have blamed first one and then another or their spiritual life, or their, their unspirituality. Blame the church. Blame brothers. Blame sisters. Put a gun to their head and shot themselves, committed spiritual suicide. All at the same time, blaming somebody else for their wounds. Friend, I don't care what happens to you. It won't be easy for you. 